0: wait to introduce you to everybody from Emerald Crest. We're going to have a really great conversation today and I know you're going to enjoy this. So first I want to introduce you to Christine Drasher and she has been uh, Cassia's admissions and marketing director at their Emerald Crest community since 2001. So 20 years she is using her extensive sales and marketing experience and training there as she has helped hundreds of families find that right fit for the memory care environment for their loved one. Christine is also a task force member for the Hopkins Act on Alzheimer's and the South of the River Friends of Dementia Initiative and the co-developer of memory cafes in Shakopee, Hopkins, and Pryor Lake. So welcome Christine. I'm thrilled to have you with us today. Hi Lori.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Next I want to introduce you to Jenny Lavoie and she is the Director of Cognitive Care Program at Emerald Crest and she is an occupational therapist who's worked over 20 years providing direct care to residents at Emerald Crest by Augustana Care. She is also working as the occupational therapist at the Shakopee community. Jenny is driven to make a difference in the lives of people with dementia related illnesses. And she knows how often they are overlooked and how important it is for the societal perceptions to change and for people to feel engaged in part of their community so welcome jenny how are you doing today good Good. wonderful well thanks for being with us we're going to pull in the other two and then we will start our conversation so next i want to introduce you to sarah ziegler she has been an occupational therapist at emerald crest of burnsville for over 12 years she works closely with the housing director the nurse direct uh, caregivers and families to identify what challenges or gaps the residents are experiencing due to their dementia. And once those are defined, then she works with the team to develop strategies and techniques to fill those gaps so that they can maximize their abilities and level of function. Sarah focuses on cognitive assessments, behavioral management, staff training, and finding opportunities for residents to participate in daily care and meaningful, activities to promote success and that, um, that self-worth that we all so badly need. So, Sarah, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks, Lori. Well, great. Uh, thank you for being part of this program. Last but not least, I want to uh, introduce you to Heidi May. She's a family member whose loved one lives at Emerald Crest and she's going to give us her thoughts on Emerald Crest services and how they've impacted both her loved one and her family. So welcome to the show, Heidi. I'm thrilled that you're going to be here representing families. I think that that is such an important aspect of the team. So thank you for taking the time. So we're going to start out with uh, Christine. I want you really to talk to us more about Emerald Crest memory care in their communities. What differentiates you from others out there?
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, if you can believe it, Emerald Crest has actually been providing memory care in the Twin Cities for over 20 years. We actually opened our first site in 1998. Um, and and I always say, you know, we were one of the first memory cares, um, we were memory care before memory care was cool. <laughs> now everybody has memory care. Um, and so, you know, I think we've always found ourselves to be experts in that because that's all we do is memory care. And I think we do continue to, to have that label, um, with our, our communities. We are part of Cassia, uh, a Cassia community, which is not a lot of people, um, Necessarily, have heard of Cassie, but they probably heard of Augustana Care or Elam, and that is actually uh, an affiliation. Uh, Cassie is an affiliation of those two organizations, and that Cassie actually came about in a couple years ago. Emerald Crest has four locations. We have one in Burnsville, Shakopee, Minnetonka, and Victoria. And really, what makes us different is we were cre- uh, created as an alternative to a nursing home. When we first were built, we really wanted it to be a home setting, and so we built houses that are one level, barrier free. There's no elevators, no stairs. Um, the design is 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 very circular. Um, the common space is in the middle and the rooms are on the outside. And the reason we do that is so that we can, um, the residents can get around very easily and they can safely do more of a wandering circular motion if they need to do that. But also they're an eyesight of our caregivers and we can really involve the, the residents in our programming because they're easy to, for us to, to get out of their room and, and participate. We, Again, is it's very much a true home setting. Like I said, that one level um, house, and you, when you drive up to our communities, you'll see that it looks like a townhouse. Um, we usually have multiple houses on our on a campus. So, for example, Burnsville has five houses, Shakopee has three, and so on. So, we have multiple houses on each house, each campus. And we are in a residential area, so it really is um, like being in your home at at our communities. We have 12 units to a house, so it's not too big, not too small. So I think that's kind of, that is very different. Um, You know, you have some of these residential care homes that are four or five um, residents, and then you have assisted livings with hundreds of residents. Having that 12 to a house is a really nice, nice number for those with memory loss. We do have the separate buildings, as I mentioned, and I think what really makes us stand out besides our occupational therapy model, which we're going to go into in a little bit more detail, is that we actually stage our houses. So we do different levels of care, and I know Sarah's going to be talking about that a little bit more as we go on here, but we really uh, found that if we have, can have different stages, different units of different the different levels of the residents. It really benefits the residents for socialization. It's really nice that they can have others around them at that same level so they feel very comfortable. Um, the program that we do, which I mean when I say program, I mean our activities uh, calendar is designed for those levels so that we're really providing what those individuals need um, and they're successful with activities. They're, they're getting the the engagement they need, but, but maybe also through that day, they're getting that downtime that they need too because of the level of function that they're at. They may need that. So having these very specialized units for these different levels is really benefiting the residents for where they're at with their cognition. Uh, we do change up our staffing ratios a little bit uh, between the houses too. And that that's nice as well as, as an individual's needs become higher physically, um, we we are able to increase that staffing. So our staffing is about a one-to-six ratio, and we do have 24-hour supervision, um, and our caregivers are highly trained on dementia. And um, Jenny and Sarah, who you're going to hear more from, are very involved as occupational therapists um, in the training of our staff. And I think by having them included in our training along with nursing, that really gives our caregivers really good practical insight on where our residents are and what their needs are on a daily basis. Um, We, like I said, have 24-hour care. Um, We have nurses on site as well. Um, And they're there Monday through Friday. They're not there on the weekends and overnights. Again, we're an alternative to nursing homes. So we don't have that really high extreme medical need. So having the nurses just available on call really works well in our environment. Probably the one thing that I spend a lot of time talking to the families um, when they're looking into memory care is, is our occupational therapy model, which again, you're going to hear more from Jenny and Sarah on this, but OTs are a huge part of our team at Emerald Crest. They're a big part of our care team from day one, when we, when we built and developed Emerald Crest, we found that. OTs um, are really the dementia experts. And and we really decided this is a time to do something different and invested on having OTs as part of our care team at every Emerald Crest community. And so by doing that, that just really gives us a unique uh, knowledge of, of a person, you know, those individuals' function and how we can be successful with their cares, with communication, um, behavior management, all those types of things that that those OTs can really give us some insight on. And then lastly, I just feel we are a really good, affordable memory care. Um, I always tell families, I feel we have a good, we provide a good bang for your buck. Um, you know, when you look at the Twin Cities market you know, the spectrum of, of costs, you know, Lori can be, you know, on the low end, maybe in the, in the, you know, 35 to 4,000 a month range for not as much care up to, I've seen, you know, up to $15,000 a month, depending on the level of care. And I always like to say we're kind of in the middle. Um, Our our average is about 6,800 a month, but you're getting so much with, with that um, compared to, to, Potentially other other settings, just because of our our size, our ratio, um, our OTs being involved, it just really you, you're getting a lot for that amount. So uh, we do work with medical assistance. So as our clients do um, run out of their funds, we do have that as an option for them too. So it's it's you know we're here to provide um, long term placement for our residents, and we don't want to have that be a reason why they have to leave. So. So those are all the, the, the components uh, that makes Emerald Crest unique.
0: Well, you really did a very nice job kind of summarizing things. And I don't know if everyone um, noted this when I was doing introductions, but just the length of time that these three employees have even stayed with the company is kind of unheard of yeah. out there. And so that, that makes a really, really big, big difference in terms of that continuity of care and is is really Mm -hmm. important um you know to the mission and i love how you guys were so far ahead of other communities because i you know my mom lived with dementia for 30 years and she's been gone you know seven years now already there wasn't Mm -hmm. much to choose from at all out there and having that smaller setting makes a big Mm -hmm. big difference in terms of what can be provided and how it can be provided um, to people having it feel like it's more of a neighborhood setting. I think, um, you know, it just helps overcome a lot of that stigma and stuff associated, you know, with memory care as well. So thank you. Jenny, I want to go to you next because, you know, Christine had mentioned, you know, the the occupational therapists and how important Mm -hmm. they are to the, the team there at Emerald Crest. And so, um, you know, this is something that definitely sets you guys apart from other providers, and you're not the typical rehab-style therapist. And so can you explain to uh, myself and our audience here, what does that really mean? What, What does your role look like and your responsibilities as part of this? Yeah, when
2: people hear occupational therapy... That's usually what they think of first is they think of that of that typical therapist in the hospital or in the transitional care um unit um, and they're rehabbing you know somebody for um issues that they're having physically that's usually the focus so you know you hear a lot about occupational therapists uh rehabbing somebody that you know had a knee replacement or a hip replacement or Um, is recovering from a stroke. That's what most people relate OT to. But here at Emerald Crest, not that we're not focusing on the physical function, but really our focus here is that cognitive functioning. Um, So we're really taking a close look at where are they functioning cognitively and how is that going to affect their day-to-day and and how they get about how they are able to be successful in, in their environment. And so you know, we're looking at um, all the different cognitive abilities that they still have and then also what their needs are. Um, We refer a lot to what's called the wheel of cognition. And a lot of people don't think about what goes into um, cognitive functioning and all the cognitive skills that we use on a day-to-day basis. And that's really what the OTs are looking at with our residents at Emerald Crest. You know, we're looking at Not only what their memory is like, um, but we're looking at, you know, how many steps of a a task can they follow? Uh, Are they goal directed? What's their frustration tolerance like? Um, How do they communicate? I mean, you could go on and on all day um, regarding the different cognitive skills that a person needs to function on a day to day basis. And that's really what our OTs are looking at. And when I look specifically at the OTs at Emerald Crest, I really see our time spent in probably four major areas. Um, The first one and probably the the most important one that we really focus on is our assessment process, our staging process. Um, Another area is behavior, communication, um, different approaches, um, depending on what stage the dementia, uh, the person is at with their dementia uh, we're also doing a lot of staff training um, every day. Um, our day includes some type of staff training, and then um, I know Sarah's going to get more into it. But our um, activity activity engagement and the OTs are really um, involved with staff and training on the different activities. But um, going back to you know the assessment and the staging, so. Before a person even walks in our door here at Emerald Crest, if we get an assessment request, we're going out there with the nurse to wherever that person is, and we're figuring out where that person is. Um, Are they in that early, middle, or late stage of dementia? And how we figure that out, we use what's called the Allen's cognitive levels, um, and a lot of people haven't heard of those before. It's a six-point cognitive scale um, that's used. It's it's OT-specific. Um, A six is somebody that is completely independent, no um, diagnosis of dementia or any kind of cognitive impairment, and then it goes all the way down to, say, a two, which is late-stage dementia. One is a person in end-stage dementia. So at Emerald Crest, we are servicing those folks that are in the middle to late stages of dementia. So those are going to be people that when we test them or assess them, they're scoring anywhere from, oh, a mid four, high four, all the way down to um, level twos, um, late stage. Um, and then we have people that have been with us um, through end of life and they're, they're dipping into the level ones end stage. Um, so we're using that Allen scale when we go out and assess that person Um, to really figure out where they're functioning um, in in early, middle, or late. And so that really helps us then, before they come through the door, to chat with our team, chat with our nurses, our directors, our caregivers, as far as, okay, this person is coming in. They're at middle stage of dementia. This is where um, they would best fit on our campus. This is where their needs would best be met. And then it also guides us on how do we care? What level of assistance do we have to give them? How do we have to communicate with them? How do we approach them? Knowing that stage can really tell us a lot. And I won't go into a lot of detail um, because I know Sarah's going to be talking about it. But then we have the different stage houses that I think Christine briefly talked about where it's broken it's, it's broken up into a high middle house, a middle middle house, and a late stage house. So again, by the OTs kind of completing that Allen cognitive level screen or test, they're able to figure out exactly where that person is in their dementia, where they're going to best fit on the campus before they even walk in the door. So that's that's a huge part. And then as that person, when, once that person moves in, we're continually assessing and reassessing that person along with the nurses to see, um, you know, are they remaining kind of stable with where they're at in their dementia? Are they progressing? And do we need to, um, you know, adjust their service plan so that uh, the, the staff are providing the right kind of assistance? okay so mostly that assessment um and and staging that's that's probably the main area that we spend a lot of our time in um also behaviors and communication i touched on so we know that people with dementia you're going to run into behaviors um there's no there's no way around that um and and with some people um they might just be pleasantly confused and not a lot of behaviors to have to try to manage uh, and then there's other people that where their behaviors can be quite intense or frequent at times. Whether it's being, you know, verbally resistive to cares or or physically combative or wandering um, or trying to leave the building. I mean, you see it all, and the um, OTs have a lot. Uh, they spend a lot of time in that area, um, working side by side with the caregivers to figure out what interventions, what um, approaches can we use so that we can be successful. The the, the example I always gives, give is you have somebody that is resistive to taking a shower. We see that a lot when it comes to dementia care. And so the OTs a lot of times are going in and they're trialing different approaches, different ways to encourage the shower or... Um, get them to be more receptive and cooperative with it. And then it's demoing that and helping the caregivers to be able to use that same approach and be successful. So it's a lot of that, a lot of working on different behaviors. And with that kind of communication kind of goes hand in hand with that. Depending on what stage of dementia they're at, you have to use different communication techniques to be successful with them. It might be you know, more verbal or um, as they get into the later stages, it's maybe not as much verbal communication because they can't understand those words anymore, but it's more nonverbal. So it's using, you know, come with me or visual demonstration or holding their hands. So we're doing a lot with behaviors and communications and uh, communication and teaching different approaches. And staff training, I, I said that was another area that kind of goes hand in hand with that. So, you know, when we're working on behaviors, we're training the staff on approaches. When we're working on communication, we're demoing the right type of of communication to use with that person depending on the stage of dementia they're at i find that the ot's a lot of times will do a lot of staff training with different disciplines Um, a lot of times we have like other therapists physical therapists that come in and are working with our residents and i find that some of them aren't fully um, knowledgeable or educated on the different levels of dementia and you know i've had physical therapists before that they're working with somebody that's late middle stage going into late stage and they want to try a walker with the person. Well, if the person's never used a walker before, they're not going to know how to use it no matter how much you try to cue them. And it can be more of a um, a safety issue than a, than a help. So I find that the OTs are jumping in a lot to kind of educate those people, those other disciplines and professionals too that we're working alongside. So it's not just always our Staff members, but also the different disciplines and family members, a lot of education with family members, because just like our residents going through the changes they are, our family members are having to deal with coping and and going along and, and seeing all these changes that are happening with their loved ones. And a lot of times that can be really hard for our family members. So it's educating them, too, on exactly where their loved one is at and what that means for what abilities and, and needs that they have. So I see staff training um, and just training in general is huge. And then last but not least, activity engagement. And again, I know Sarah's going to talk a lot about that, but as as um, Christine had said, there's there's uh, we have three different staged houses and with each staged house we have a specific activity program that goes with that house. And it's based on the program is based on where that stage of dementia is and what abilities they have as far as activities. So you know, the length of time that they can um, attend to an activity, the number of steps they can do in an activity, all the whole schedule is really geared for that stage that they're at. And so the OTs are doing a lot of again, educating um, staff members um, on how to lead those activities because it's our direct care staff that lead the activities so we do a lot of training before they even walk in the door on the different programs and how to do the activities and then ongoing um, training and you know making changes when we need to um, updating things with the program it's a lot of that too so activity engagement so Again, those four areas, assessment, staging, behavior, communication, um, approaches, staff training, and activity engagement. That's really what we focus our time on and kind of sets us apart as being very unique when it comes to OT.
0: I like that you defined you know, that because I think most of us, when we think of OT, we're thinking of repetitive exercises, you know, and it's this routine and you're going to get better and you're going to be released and go back home and all of those types of things. And so um it was, you made it really, really clear in terms of what you do. When you were talking about um, showering, it made me think back when my mom really struggled with showers. And I remember asking Tipa Snow, because she never used to have a problem, then all of a sudden it was just screaming and throwing fits. And I mean, she was just terrified. And, and Tepa said, everything has changed. She's lost her fat pads on her back. So her nerves are, you know, um, towards the skin more. And so when that shower hits her, it actually hurts. And using a rain shower head will help, starting with the warmer water from the feet up instead of, you know, we start at the top. I mean, all of those things are just so minute and little things that we can change really easily. But when you don't know them, I, I mean, mm-hmm. they're horrible and everybody feels bad and and stuff. So having that extra support there to be able to guide staff and, and even explain to family, you know, what's going on and what's happening as a daughter, I guess I just find really, really comforting. And when you were talking about communication, it made me think too, you know, as disease progressed, um, the importance of using kind of multi sensory engagement with my mom, it, it allowed her to grab a hold of different things at different times, and just made it easier for her to maybe remember who I am, which I know is a big worry with family. And, you know, helping them ended up focusing on it's not do they know your name? It's do they feel safe with you? Are they comfortable? Those are those are some of the key things. So I think having that staff training available in just an everyday kind of regular piece there is just so so valid. So thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that Jenny. Sarah, I'm going to go to you next. And I want to know a little bit more about the stages of your houses and how they're determined and what are the differences between them? And then also how you deal with your residents as their needs switch, as they progress, do they have to switch locations then?
3: Sure, Lori, I'd be happy to talk about the characteristics of each stage and kind of how they differentiate from one another. Um, Jenny did a really nice job of highlighting the fact that we do stage our residents in houses um, and so I'll just dive into what those different stages look like. Um, she had uh, said we, we admit folks in that middle stage of dementia all the way to the late stages. Um, so our highest level home at Emerald Crest is our Um, Early middle stage house, those residents, um, I'll just highlight some of the strengths of our residents um, at each of these levels. So our strengths of um, people in the middle early middle stage are that they are still able to socialize. They're still able to converse, reminisce about things, um, able to engage in cognitive games, trivia, things like that. Um, still pretty, for the most part, physically capable of of engaging in things. So we, with our activity program, we we try to um, emphasize those things that they're most successful at. So we incorporate opportunities for socialization in our program. We incorporate reminiscing groups where they can remember those things from their past. You know, our short-term memory, even with our early middle-stage folks is poor, but they can remember growing up and sharing stories about the work they did, the hobbies they had. And and then they really, the really exciting part is that they feed off of one another. You know, the other day I was in one of the houses and one of the ladies was talking about where she used to work. And the other gal was significantly older than her. And she said, I worked there too. And they were talking about things that have changed and they're able to do that. And so that's really exciting to see that you know, there's still there's still that spark inside of them to do those things and to engage that way. So um, we focus a lot on on what they can do still um, at that middle stage that revolves around more socialization and reminiscing and um, using those cognitive skills. Um, trivia, we do a lot of trivia. We do um, one of the one of the games we do is called complete the phrase. And I was actually in a room with a resident um, just finishing up a virtual visit with her. And they were doing that complete the phrase out in the common area. And she heard the caregiver leading the group and the caregiver says a penny for your and the resident inside her room says thoughts. And I just, you know, there's just that connection there um, that they're still able to make. And so that's what we highlight in our activity program is what those strengths are with people in that early stage. And and that's all about the, the communication part of it and the socialization part. As people change, as they decline a little bit more and move more into that middle, middle stage, you're going to see them starting to have challenges finding the words and communicating and sometimes even remembering some of those things from the past. And so we don't focus our program as much on that in our middle, middle stage house because you ask somebody about their past and they get embarrassed because they can't remember or they get emotional because they can't remember. And so you don't want to, you don't want to pull that part of them out, but what they can do well is active things. They can do things. They can participate in exercise, in games. Balloon volleyball is a game we have in our activity program um, on regular rotation, but even things like, you know, just shooting hoops with a, with a tabletop basketball, things like that, um, that just use more of those, those gross motor skills and things that they're familiar with, things that they've used to do. Um, music um, is something that that really sticks with all levels of dementia, but especially in this middle, middle stage, really resonates with them. Remember the songs, they tap to the music, they sing along with things. So we try to do... Do stuff like that with music, um, but the one of the biggest things too is utilizing props, having things for the residents to look at, to hold on to, to use, because the doing makes a lot more sense to them, so um, we focus on the doing and the things that are highly, highly familiar, and we keep our Residence Day very, very structured in our middle, middle, middle stage. We certainly provide that routine and structure for all of our levels, but in the middle, middle stage, that structure is hugely important because these are your folks that you've probably heard it. These are your folks that, what do I do now? Where do I go? So for, for family members, especially I think that still have their loved ones at home. These are the most challenging folks because They don't always know what to do with their loved ones. So um, we have a very structured middle, middle stage program for our residents so that they aren't asking those questions as much. These are also your residents. When Jenny talked about behaviors, um, one of the behaviors that we see a lot is rummaging in a person's room. Why do people rummage? That's the question we ask about behaviors a lot. Why are they doing what they're doing? They rummage because they're looking for something to do. And so we try to eliminate the the, the the reason for them to look for something to do by keeping our program structured in that middle, middle stage home. As somebody changes um, and moves towards that end stage of disease, they're starting to struggle more with the programming. They're needing more help with their care in all sorts of different ways. So when somebody is needing more assistance, they're not participating as much, they move to our end stage home where... They still have strengths. And those strengths that they have are are, are more sensory-based. They, they still can see the world around them. They can hear what's going on around them. They enjoy eating. They're, we focus a lot on, on having delicious food for them. Um, sweet is a sweet is a sensation that people taste all the way to the end. Um, and so we do a lot of sweet treats with our residents in our late stage house. Um, we focus on touch and engaging with things one-on-one. Hand massages, we do a lot of sensory-based things or recommend that to family members, especially when they come, when they come to visit. You know, what do I do? What do I do with my loved one? They're in the late stage and I don't know anymore. Sit there and hold their hand. Give them a hand massage with lotion, rub their back, put some music on and listen to it together. All of those things engage those senses. And the one of the biggest things we always remind people of is that when somebody is in the late stage of dementia, um, they still can sense uh, what's going on around them. They can also sense the people around them. I think, Laura, you had mentioned it about your mom. You know, she knows that she doesn't maybe know your name anymore. she didn't maybe know your name anymore, but she knew you were a calming presence. And so we always we always educate that even at this later stage and they're not doing as much, they still can feel that emotion that's in a visit or in an activity Things that we focus on, Jenny mentioned this, is uh, attention span in each of these levels. In our late stage, with our late stage residents, their attention span is very short. We keep our group length at 15 minutes. Typically, somebody's attention span is 5 to 15 minutes at that late to end stage. So we're trying to, to capture their alertness um, during those small windows of time um and then Christine back when she started talking she talked about the balance of activity and rest it is so important for all our folks um, at each stage to have a balance of activity and rest but especially in that late stage we focus on giving extended rest times people wear out a lot more quickly um, in that late stage of dementia, so they need more opportunities to rest and get quality rest and reposition and um, uh, you know, one of our biggest goals we say in our late stage home is to provide comfort. So that those are our, those are our primary focuses in each of those three staged houses that we have. Um, you asked Lori about how we how we know when it's time for somebody to transition and how we go about that, moving them, um, you know, through those stages kind of seamlessly. And, and and I would say, you know, we have been able to transition people. From stage to stage, house to house, pretty seamlessly, because we're looking for signs that they're changing. Uh, we look for signs that they're not participating in the activities like they used to. They're not, they're they're maybe isolating from things, they're not getting along with their peers, um, they're having behaviors that are not typical for them. That might mean that they're struggling, they're not getting what they need in the home that they're in. And so that helps us to know when to transition, but it also helps us to transition them because they are needing more more of that care, um, different types of care. So um, when we transition somebody from house to house, um, they're, they're usually ready. The beauty of our houses at Emerald's Crest is they all look the same. Um, the set setup, the layout is uh, the same. Um, so the residents don't often know a big difference in the the environment because it doesn't look a lot different. The people, uh, the faces are different, um, but what they are getting from the people in that setting is the right amount of care and engagement, and so that usually makes the transition um, quite smooth. Um, moving our moving our folks from house to house, and um, it's just it, it's really it's really warming to see somebody settle into that place where they do belong. So, um, I think with, with the knowledge that OTs bring, um, to all of the different characteristics of the levels, we're able to seamlessly help them transition from house to house, educating the staff on that and helping the families kind of, kind of deal with that, those changes in that transition. So, um, Just those are the things that we're able to offer with our our specialized
0: program. Wonderful. I have a couple of questions for you. One is when you talk about moving from house to house, because these terms are used differently Mm -hmm. in different communities. Mm -hmm. So when they're moving from house to house, is that house in a different city? Or do you have these different levels within one community? Just so the audience yeah, is, is we, clarified on that. we
3: are able to accommodate all three of our stages uh, in one community. So Christine was saying that the different Emerald Crest, we have different numbers of houses on each campus. So Five houses, three houses on one of our campuses. We have two, so the stages are kind of smooshed up together, split up a little bit differently, um, but we are able to transition people through the stages on that same exact campus, so um, they're not having
0: to travel very far except down a sidewalk through another front door. Wonderful. Um, that That is really helpful, and I just wanted to make sure that we were clear on that with sure. everybody because I know that that can be a A real tough thing if people have to switch not just physical locations, but companies that they're dealing with um, Mm -hmm. as a whole or switching cities and stuff. I love how you talked about um, working in their intention span and understanding it's it's five to 15 minutes that need for engagement and for rest. I I remember my mom, you know, even with with music engagement, she'd be there and then all of a sudden. You know, she was out and then she'd come right back, you know, 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes later again. And she was right there. And, you know, it was just what her body needed. And she was mm-hmm. listening to it and following that. I also loved when you talked about um, using kind of that multi-sensory thing and um, doing the hand massages. To me, that was so important. I mean, i I never went to go see my mom without a bottle of lotion because it was just something simple. That I could do my daughter never went to visit grandma without nail polish, because that was something that she really liked to do and that grandma really liked and my brothers weren't so touchy feely but you know we got a CD player in a room and they could push a button and put on Frank Sinatra and just let her be peaceful in that and so. Um, I think those are all, you know, great things um, that, you know, in terms of what you do. And I have to say, I adore the passion in all three of you guys. That is not something we always see with staff when they're talking about things. Sometimes it can be, you know, this is my job and, and they're saying all the same things, but they're they're saying it differently. And you can just see you guys beaming when you're talking about this, that you enjoy this and And, you know, understanding this is a really important work. So next, I really want to go and talk with Heidi now and hear the family side of this. (laughs) Um, So Heidi, if you can share with us a little bit about your journey with dementia and what brought you to Emerald Crest.
4: Well, um, I think my mom started, we started to notice in about, oh, seven years ago, her language got a little wonky, and she'd repeat herself. She was a, an English teacher and a, a librarian, so she was reading books all the time, and she couldn't quite tell us what she was doing anymore, and it started to progress, and she came to, she's been married to my dad for 55 years now, but um, two years ago, it just got to be too much for dad, and we maybe didn't quite know what <laughs> what was actually going on but she came to live with us um for probably about 6 months and um and she loves to walk so we did a lot of walking and um it was it was great for all of us um and then she went back and we got my they were they're living in Sioux Falls South Dakota and she started going to an adult daycare so that gave my dad some time And then it just um, progressed and she had to go into the hospital and over New Year's. And then um, Jenny came to see me in the hospital and that was that. (laughs) Um, And so my mom has been at Emerald Crest since um, January 2020. And um I love it. I love it because she loves it. And when we when they were talking about um they look like little townhouses when we drove up that day, I was so nervous to, that she was moving in and she thought it was just beautiful, and this is for me, and she was thrilled and she walked in like it was her house. Um so the transition for us was fabulous because she was happy from the get-go um and everything about it um now that I've gone through it if somebody would need some help I would say oh you need to look for a place that has these transitions because now I realize how important that is um so that's just a little bit um how we got there and thankful, just so thankful. And the staff is all fabulous and she's just always happy except for that shower. (laughs) The shower is tricky and I don't know if she's ever going to get through that, but um, when she's done, I think she does say thank you (laughs) when it's over. But um we're we are just we love it there and she loves it. And in fact our pictures are all over the entire house because she's decorating and she really thinks it's her house for sure. That's that's how we got there.
0: Wow, that's that is um just a fun, fun story. And I think for any families listening to this, I'm sure they're just breathing a sigh of relief because this is such a complicated and difficult process to go through. This is not anything anybody wants to do. Many families have made uh, comments saying, you know, we're not going to place you, you can live at home forever, not realizing that things change, and needs change, not just the rest of the family, but theirs. And I think that's where the guilt really comes in um, from family members is feeling, I'm exhausted, I'm burnt out, I can't I can't do this. Everyone's telling me I'm supposed to be able to do this. But um, to find that placement, I know for, for myself, um, being able to walk in and see your loved one comfortable and engaged is um, a tremendous gift and a relief. I mean, I remember Walking in, my mom ended up having having to go to a nursing home, and actually, she wanted to go because my dad was there in a moment of clarity. Said, You know, she's not going to leave him after 49 and a half years, which is a very unusual story. I know most people that's not how it works, they don't pick to make this move. But I'll never forget the day that I walked in, and there was the um, life enrichment or activities person sitting there with it was like an oprah magazine that opened up for four pages and the four pages it all it was was a big floral garden with all these beautiful brilliant colors and then sitting in a horseshoe around them was exactly what you guys had described of the engagement in the reminiscing and some were talking about their gardens and some were just talking about the flowers and the colors and I mean, the conversation just went all over. And I remember standing in that doorway thinking, I couldn't give her that because she's part of a peer group again. And that is so critically important. And it just, I, I, I anyways, it did for me, Heidi. Um, I, I don't know if this did this for you, but it just made my heart melt that she belonged, that she fit in, that she was part of a community again.
4: Oh, yeah, 100%. To see her just so enjoy herself and um, yeah, just feel so successful. Even living with us, I have three kids who are in and out and in and out. And I think um, I didn't know this at the time. <laughs> I do now, but that was overwhelming for her, for sure. And, and it was great to have her here for that amount of time. But um, finally in the hospital is when the doctor said, you can't take care of her anymore. And, and that was hard to hear, but I was thankful that somebody besides, you know, my brother or said it. So I knew it was it was time to go. And I think she was thankful really thankful especially when she went to her room and it had the little name tag and it said Linda and she um she just couldn't believe it was all for her so that just yeah it just feels so good that she probably was thinking in her head I can't tell you what she was thinking but she might have been thinking finally you got me to the right place so um yeah it does feel good
0: wonderful well thank you for for sharing that with us um that's just such an important piece of all of this is getting everybody on board and and getting them all to feel comfortable and you know when you've got trained staff and not that they're just trained but that they really care um which you can sense from all three of these ladies and you can tell just from how they're talking you know they want they want the staff there to learn on a daily basis how to be their very best and how how people there can live their b- very best life. Um, to me, as a daughter, I mean, there's nothing more valuable than that. I mean, it allows you to sleep at night um, and relieve so much of that stress and then allows you, if you're a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter, to get back to being that with your loved one and not carrying that that additional burden of, and I hate even using that word burden because we do it out of love, but it does drain us. You know, it's another pull and it, and it pulls us sometimes away from being who we once were together. And, and to me, that's a, that's a huge gift to both sides to be able to just, you know, have the relationship back. And I know as a, as a daughter, I lost that because I was so busy being task oriented, doing all those things. I gave those small moments of sitting quietly or holding your hand or whatever it was. Um, I, I gave those up because I was busy being busy. And when you get those back to be able to just sit next to them, um, even if there's no word said, I mean, sometimes that's the safest place you can be. And they can still give that back to you as you can give that to them. So um, kudos um, to the to the group here and, and Heidi thank you for sharing. Um, Christine I want to wrap up as we as we end discussion here and ask you if you can share with us how someone can learn more about emerald rust and how can they connect and discuss you know the move-in process and what is that really like and, and how does that go?
1: Sure, absolutely, well, a lot of families will start um, start to connect with us via phone. Um, So um, there's two individuals you talk to, either myself or Liz Wendell. Both of us work in admissions, and that's a really good place to start is to start talking to us about, you know, um, what does your loved one need? What are you looking for? Are we a good fit? Um, What's availability? We just kind of really start just getting to know your situation better and and help guiding you. And and that's really what our job is, is to help guide you. Um, So so Liz is the the main intake number is on our website um it is 952908 2215 and that goes directly to Liz if Liz doesn't answer then I also help with that but you can also get her email on our website at emeraldcrest.com after talking on the phone if if the family wants to actually come in and see it we offer tours um we can do it either virtually we've done a lot of virtual tours um lately um and we also do uh do them in person at this point so we're well um, happy to do that that's a really good time um we can sit down with the family we can we can show you what we have the different stages we do like to walk you through that get a feel get a sense of of what those houses are like Um, show you the rooms that we have That's just kind of the next step. And then from there, if you want to move forward, we pass you on to Jenny and the nursing team to do an assessment. And then it's pretty seamless after that. Um, So we would just walk, Liz and I just walk you through that process. We want you to feel like you have somebody who can guide you through that whole process.
0: I wanted to see if anybody else had any other comments that they wanted to throw out um, maybe something that we missed I think Christine you had mentioned something in the in the chat box that I had missed that you wanted to add do you, you remember actually what didn't,
1: that was yeah you actually <laughs> didn't miss and 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 Jenny didn't miss either I just wanted to add you know that when she started talking about the differences of, of the clinical kind of more rehab OT and what we provide um, I, I think Individuals really understand that, you know, when you go through an acute need with an OT, you're driven by insurance, right? Your insurance provides the cost, covers it. Your insurance will tell, you know, how long they're going to work with that individual. And then usually when that need is done, that OT is done. They don't really follow them long term. Um, What's really neat with us is our OTs, they are with them through their whole journey at Emerald Crest from, from move in day to discharge. Even sometimes we help families even further than that, um, but but they're there that whole time, so they really get to know that resident well and 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 knows you know, when there is a change that they need to really start looking at some, some changes in their care plan or possibly a different house. So I wanted to kind of throw that in there. Um, And then the other thing I wanted to throw in is, as Sarah was talking about our program, um, I always like to say, you know, our activity schedule or program, daily program is more of a is more of a treatment for their dementia symptoms, not necessarily, we don't just do it just to do activities. We do it because we're actually wanting to reduce some of those symptoms that come along with dementia, those behaviors, you know, those types of things. So we kind of view it as more of a treatment. um, And we have the same schedule seven days a week in each of the houses. And so that just keeping that routine of the day and structure is really important um, and, and really helps our residents to be able to, to get, you know, have a really structured day and being engaged and then sleep really good at night. So it really keeps that internal clock on sync for them too. So, so it's really a treatment for them. So I, I just like to throw those two things out
0: there. Question. Um, so I, I'm just going to throw this out because a lot of families um, struggle with sundowning and mm-hmm. people having issues. Do you do certain types of things during that sundown period? Uh, to help people stay calm and engaged?
2: I can comment it. And if anybody else wants to add, they can. Um, Yeah, you bring up a good point. So, you know, sundowning, uh, a lot of people have heard of that term. That's usually, you usually, if if a person's going to have that, you usually see that in the late afternoon or early evening. Um, And really, it's a time of increased confusion, agitation, um, anxiety, that type of thing. That's when you're going to have people maybe pacing, uh, wandering the house saying, I got to go home. Where are my parents? I I need to get to my kids. You know, that that kind of thing is you see that. Um, So in our schedules, um, a lot of other memory cares you go to or assisted livings, a lot of times, you know, they eat lunch and then you go and immediately, oh, it's time to take a nap. That's what you see a lot at a lot of other places. And then when they're actually waking up, they're waking up right at that late afternoon or right at that dinner time when that sundowning is hitting. So now they've been napping, they wake up, they're disoriented and boom, there you are, you're in sundowning time. And then a lot of times you see that sundowning um, or those symptoms of sundowning even worse. With our programming, we we follow a kind of a certain rhythm. It's it's, you get up in the morning, you eat, you have activity, you rest. You eat, activity, rest. So it's kind of a cycle. And so after lunch, we're not saying go back to your rooms and take a nap. Right after lunch, about 1 o'clock, they're starting right up with activities, pretty much the whole afternoon until about that 3 o'clock time. And then at that 3 o'clock time, we're kind of going then into a rest time at that sundowning. So we're kind of like bringing the level down in the houses, trying to create kind of a relaxed, calm environment, whether it's with relaxation videos or music, whether it's with hand massages, with whether it's with lavender oil. But we're purposely timing it at that point in the schedule to kind of head off any of that sundowning that might occur. Um, so I don't know if anybody else has anything to add, but that's kind of how I see us, you know, dealing with that.
0: Wonderful. Well, I think this has just been a brilliant conversation. And, um, you know, I wish I wish my mom was still alive to be able to be cared for the way you guys care for, for your residents. Um, and then also supporting the families as well. How cool. I mean, it's just so I, I still can't believe how ahead of the times you guys were with this concept to begin with, but how it's really um, evolved, you know, over time as well. And the, the consistency in terms of what you, what you provide care and how the how and the whys um, being understood. I think a lot of times that's where uh, things can fall down is people don't know why they're supposed to do it this way. And when you understand that, it just, it, it makes sense having it be repeatable where then the next staff can share it with somebody else as well. So you can always go to their website, uh, www.emeraldcrust.com. Again, that's emeraldcrust.com. Or you can call and talk with them uh, via the phone at 952 908 22 one five. Thank you so much, everyone, and I hope that you, you. like and click and share this um, when you're listening. This is important information for families to to hear. Um, it'll calm their souls and give them hope that making a move doesn't have to be so difficult, mm-hmm. and you don't have to carry that burden of guilt um, when you know how well they're being cared for. So check out Emerald Crest, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds, someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.